What's up, church? It is good to be home. So I have a, just a quick idea for Hannah for the dehumidifier. If you get a dehumidifier that's big enough, you can pack your clothes in the water container and then the dehumidifier can become your suitcase. I'm just throwing that in for free. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it in for free. See, I know. You come back from vacation, you're all refreshed with all these creative ideas. I know, it's good. Last two weeks, come on, Pastor David and Chris preaching. Amazing. If you've not heard Pastor David's message yet, you need to check that out. You can get that on our website through the podcast, just talking about Christian privilege. It was so powerful. Uh, and then Chris last week, we're working, we had some technical difficulties. We've got a, uh, a video of, hit, of him preaching. And so we're figuring out how we're, what we're gonna post because we wanna make that available. It was like going to a week-long wor- workshop on worship, right, in 45 minutes. It was so good. That whole teaching about the cherubim and the, uh, the, the holiest of holies with the... Uh, um, uh, Ark of the Covenant and how that's an image of the worship team meeting the congregation in worship and it creates a place for God's presence. Like, come on! It's like, we should, just, we should have just had him do part two tonight, right? Come on. So good. So good. So we are launching a series. I think we're going to get, we might get to some of the series tonight. We'll see. We'll see. But all week, just God's been speaking to my heart about our young people. And so I'm going to preach into that some tonight. And so, uh, and if we have time at the end, I'll do some introductory remarks for the series that we're going to be uh, doing for the rest of the summer and, and maybe into the fall, uh, talking about this idea of an open heaven and where does that concept come from and different places in the Bible where it speaks to it specifically. But then there's also moments in the Bible where it happens. And we're going to be digging into all of that in this series. I'm so excited. The image that's on here, when, when, when uh, Pastor David was up doing his worship wrap-up, right? Given the description, I was like, he didn't even know this was the new image. I was like, it's so good, right? God just weaving all of that together. And, uh, but this image comes off of Hillsong's, uh, one of their most recent worship albums called Open Heaven River Wild. Uh, and we're gonna, if we get there tonight, I'm gonna talk about why I chose that picture and, and, and what that represents uh, for us. So, but our youth are headed out to camp. And so we've got three teenagers uh, that are going. We've got teenagers that have been going for years now. Uh, for our oldest, uh, Derek, he's actually going as a leader this year. And, and so it's just right. It's a big, uh, you can clap for that. Come on. I know some of you have kids that are going as leaders. Some of you have kids. We're going to pray for the kids at the end, but in the circle time before the service, like we really shouldn't pray for the kids. We should pray for the parents, right? Especially those that are sending their kids off to camp for the first time. But all week, the Holy Spirit has just been just speaking to my heart about the importance of this church continuing to have a commitment to the next generation. So I'm going to preach into that tonight. Uh, and then again, if we have time, we'll get to some opening remarks about the series uh, and, and Open Heaven. So I, I want to show you these pictures of the Great Wall of China. Because I, I was praying this week, and, and I wanted to give you a visual of what I'm going to challenge our church in tonight. And, and I think we're going to be hard-pressed to find something different than this, or something better uh, than this. It's one of the most ambitious building projects ever undertaken by any civilization. It, it took over 2,300 years to build. It means that if they had started it when Jesus was born, we'd be centuries away from it still being completed in our lifetime. 
2,300 years to complete. It began around 500 BC. In most places, the base is about 21 feet, and the top of the wall, it kind of pyramids up to 19 feet. The average height is anywhere from 23 to 26 feet high. It spans, listen to this, over 13,000 miles. 13,000 miles. Listen, Newport News to Los Angeles, if you were going to build a wall from Newport News to Los Angeles, that's only 2,700 miles. If you were to build a wall from here to Anchorage, Alaska, that's only 5,000 miles. Right? The Great Wall of China, over 13,000 miles long. I'm inspired by this because it's one of the greatest examples of generational selflessness that we will ever see. People worked on this wall for their entire lives knowing they would never see it completed. Let me read that again. People worked on this wall for their entire lives knowing they would never see it completed. Passing the vision from generation to generation in many instances from dynasty to dynasty for the betterment of future generations. Listen to Hebrews eleven thirteen says, all these people died. If you're familiar with the Bible, Hebrews 11 is what we call the hall of fame of faith. All the people that are listed there were, were examples of, of people that stepped into incredible moments of faith in their life. All these people, it says, died still believing what God had promised them, meaning that the thing that they were believing God for, they did not get to see in their lifetime. They did not see it fulfilled. It says right here in the text, they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Now there's a lot of teaching in that one little verse, but one of them is most certainly this, that every one of these people, the reason they're in the hall of fame of faith is not just the faith that they had for themselves, but the faith that they had for the generation that was gonna come after them, that it was gonna continue in the promise that God had given to them. At some point in their life, they realized what God had promised to them just wasn't for them. It was for generations to come. And the reason they're in the hall of fame of faith because at the point that they realized that they weren't gonna see it fulfilled, they didn't walk away from it. At the point they didn't, that they realized that they were not gonna be the benefactor of it, they didn't quit. And in many cases, they doubled down on their effort because they knew that God had put something in them to serve the future. And I trust that if you've been a part of City Life for any amount of time, you know that this same conviction stirs our hearts. Too many churches fail or become irrelevant because they have a what about me culture. Too many churches fail or become irrelevant because they have a what about me culture. I remember years ago, I was at the Hardee's uh, over by uh, Big Bethel and Todd's Lane. Hardee's, great sweet tea, just saying. Just putting it out there. So, so I'm there, it was years ago, and, and I was there just grabbing a quick lunch, stopped in, eating, right? And there was a, a, a group of, of retirees, grandparents sitting over on the side. It was a bunch of men sitting there hanging out, uh, eating their lunch. And, uh, and I happened to overhear the conversation. And one of the guys, uh, and, and it became clear that they all went to the same church. And, and, and apparently their church was raising money for new playground equipment. And so this one guy is saying to the group, I can't believe the pastor's trying to raise money for new, when's he gonna raise money for us, right? And he just went on this time, I'm telling you, it was everything I could do to just sit there and be quiet, right? It would not have been Pastor Fred that would have engaged in that conversation, unfortunately. I mean, this guy, right, you're like, who, right? what's wrong with you? 
But you realize that he was vocalizing the sentiment that so many churches carry. It's a what about me culture. It's the what are you doing for me. It's the, it's the opposite of what should be happening, right? His voice at that table should have been, hey, I hope you guys are giving to this fund. Because this, the future of our church and the future of this city, it's with the next generation. We don't need the church to do anything else for us. We, right? that, that should have been his cry. That should have been his call. But that man was suffering from a what about me mindset. And too often churches as a whole have a what about me culture. At City Life, we have a different culture. It's called a what about them culture. The culture of this church is what about them. What about them? Scotty and Sabre are up there giving that appeal. I didn't know they were gonna, that was going to be in the, in the video announcements. And, 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 and I turned around and said, come on, that's what I'm preaching about tonight. It's about the future generation. You might be saying, Fred, I, I, maybe, you know, I would rather the church spend some money on a senior's pastor. I'll introduce you to him. Hi, my name's Fred. <laughs> I'm 51. I've qual- I'm qualifying. I'm past halfway. I'm your guy. The future generation of this church needs us to give them a head start. And if you're going to call this your church home, you got to get on board with us. Genesis 24, 1 through 9. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. It's interesting, isn't it? That the sort that said it says the Lord blessed him in every way, except the one way that Abraham expected, which was to see the promise fulfilled over his life. He's included in Hebrews 11. He did not receive what was promised, but yet it says he was blessed in every way. It's powerful. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Aren't you glad some of the practices of the Bible don't make it into modern day society? You get uncomfortable when when somebody says, turn to the person next to you, right? Back then it was, put your hand under the person's thigh beside you, right? You want to go to a biblical church? Let's not go to that one. Most people believe that thigh was a euphemism. I'm not even going to get into that teaching. (laughs) Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. The servant asks, but if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home, should I take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land that you came from? Abraham says, no, no. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house in my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you. He will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. And if she is unwilling to come back with you, hit her over the head and drag her here. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath. Such faith. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under Abraham's thigh of his master. And he swore to follow Abraham's instruction. If you're not familiar with that story, you can read the rest of it picking up in Genesis 24. It's a powerful, powerful story. Abraham understood that he had the responsibility to set his son up for success. But this isn't just a story about parenting. This isn't just a story about family. This is a story of the church. That we are an Abraham generation if you're like me. 
or a little bit past me. Something inside of us should stir. Something inside of us should understand the responsibility that we have to put healthy boundaries in the lives of our children. Something inside of us should stir to understand that, that we, like Abraham, should be calling out to other people like he's calling out to his servant, to rallying other people, to get them to step into a, a covenant relationship, to work together for the betterment of the future generation. City life and what God has spoken to us isn't just for us, it's for generations to come. And at some point, we're going to be watching from heaven, cheering them on, and they're going to be taking ground that we only dreamed of if we do the part that we're supposed to do now to give them a privilege. One of the things that was stirred my heart when I was listening to Pastor David preach was the part where he said, this idea of privilege isn't a bad thing. Right? It's this idea of, of certain people in society have a head start. As a church, we should be giving the next generation in this church a head start. By the way we invest in them. By the way we speak into their lives. By the boundaries that we put around them. First Chronicles 29.3 says, And now because of my devotion to the temple of God, this is King David at the end of his life, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. If you're familiar with this story, you know David. He had an expectation that he was going to build the temple for God. And God said, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son. And in that moment, David doesn't say, well, I'm not going to be a part of it if you're not going to let me do it. No, 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 come on, he doubled down. He said, I'm going to give all of my wealth, all of my wealth, to prepare my son for the vision that I know that you gave to me, but that he's gonna fulfill. Listen to what it says. This in addition to the building materials I've already collected. Why did he collect them? He, he collected them because he thought he was gonna do it. He's been amassing all of these supplies, right? The, the, the wealth of Israel, they're, they're, they're getting ready to enter into their golden age and David thought he was gonna usher it in and then when God says, no, it's not gonna be you, he doesn't hoard it, he releases it. 1 Chronicles 29.3, so good. I hope your heart is stirred tonight that as a church that we're gonna keep giving our youth a head start. We're gonna keep supporting Pastor David and Hannah and their leaders and what they're doing. We're gonna keep supporting the leaders of kid life and workshop and care. This new class that we've gotta start, right? It's because we've outgrown this one. So this is part of what we're talking about. We're not just gonna keep stuffing them into a room that doesn't fit. We're gonna expand what we're doing here. Why? Because it's about the next generation. It's not about making people comfortable so they come to city life, right? That's not what we're about here. Is that important? Sure it is, but only to a degree. We're launching these ministries, the buddy system, workshop, all of these things because we have a commitment to give the next generation a head start. There's five phrases that I want to talk to you about tonight that help us keep a what about them mindset. Five phrases. The first one is this, you decide. You decide. There are times where we've got to let the next generation make the decision. Whether it's the decision that we would have made, whether we feel that they're prepared to make the decision or not, it's the only way they're going to learn. There's times where we've got to step back. Do we need to manage risk? Sure. Do we need to make sure we're not being foolish? Sure. But there's times where we should be looking at them and say, you pick, you choose, you decide. I like to call them generational tethers. 
There are a lot of churches that don't have young people because they don't have any generational tethers, meaning that there's no part of the church that they've given to the youth while they're still here. Because they grew up in a culture of wait your turn. We say their turn is now. Their turn is now. Matthew 13, 52. You've heard me read and teach this verse for years. Then he added every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Another translation renders it new treasures and old treasures. If you've been a part of our church, we, have time. we, t- we teach on this every year. Churches that fail, churches that struggle because they've lost their understanding of the difference between a new treasure and an old treasure. Every new treasure is not necessarily supposed to become an old treasure. New treasures are things that come for a time and a season and for a moment. Old treasures are things that are going to walk with you forever. And sometimes churches have a tendency to take treasures that were supposed to be new and they, and they make them an old treasure. And when you take a new treasure and make it an old treasure, inappropriately, it will displace a generation. That song we were singing tonight, Life, that we opened with, and then I don't, I, I'm not a music, I don't even know the names of most songs, right? <laughs> then the one, ever, whatever one that Gina let out on at the end, right? I turned to Vanessa and said, I'm probably not even going to be able to preach it. I'm going to lose my voice right here, right? Because <laughs> right now, we're, 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 it's, the, it's the moment that Chris was, was talking about last week that some of those songs, we feel it, right? There's a sense of expectancy that we have. It's because of what he preached last week. We, we see it. It's like in that moment, the, the cherubim of the worship team touches the cherubim of the congregation. The mercy seat is created. And all of a sudden, the Shekinah of glory. We, we, we just, we feel it. We feel it. If we're singing those same songs five years from now, something has gone terribly wrong with this church. You're tracking with me? If we're expecting that kind of experience five years from now, then we're the kind of church we're supposed to be. If we're deeper into it five years from now than we are today, then we're the church that we're kind of be. But the songs that get us there, the rhythm of the music, all of that might change. And the next generation gets to tell us when it's time to change it. It's a generational tether. You decide. Old treasures, new treasures. Number two, I'm sorry. This is a phrase that's an important part of our church. Our young people do not need us to be perfect, but they want us to be authentic. Listen to this phrase. I, 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 I know that I'm ready to come back from vacation when I start having my first thoughts about sermons. I didn't have my first thought about a sermon until Thursday of the second week. It keeps getting longer and longer the older I get. In a few years, I might be gone for an entire month. I was like, dear God, am I, gonna, am I ready? When am I going to come back from this Thursday? I was like, whoo, it's going to be all right. But I was waking up Thursday morning last week, and all of a sudden, just this thought came to me. Wrote it down on a piece of paper. Found its way into this sermon. Growing is acting like the person you are still striving to become. Hypocrisy is pretending to be a person you never intend to be. Growing is acting like the person you are still striving to become. Many people misunderstand this, right? They they think that it's fake. This isn't fake. Right? All of us in our journey of, of, of spiritual growth, we're going to have to act like the person that we're not fully yet, but we know we're coming into it. We might step back out of it, come back into it. That's what growing feels like. 
It's only hypocrisy when you're pretending to be that person and you have no intention of becoming that person whatsoever. Young people want authentic leaders. They're not looking for us to be perfect. They're okay with us acting like the person we're, we're, we're not there yet as long as they know we're gonna get there. And when we mess up, that we're willing to look at them and say, we're sorry. We're willing to look at them and say, will you forgive me? Our pride, listen to me, doesn't just rob them of the moment of reconciliation that needs to happen when we make a mistake. It doesn't just repair the broken trust that is broken when we make mistakes. It also, we rob them of modeling how to say we're sorry. You know how our kids learn how to repent? It's from watching us do it. Watching us do it. I like those snaps out there. I hear you. (laughs) Seniors pastor getting snaps in his sermon. You decide, I'm sorry. Number three is yes. It's just yes. We are going to find ways to say yes to our young people. When it's budget time, we're going to find a way to say yes. We're going to find a way to say yes. When they've got dreams about things they want to do and how they want to expand, we're going to find a way. For for some of us, right, the older we get, we become no-oriented. You know people like that. You know people. Don't look at anybody right now. Just look at me. When it comes to our young people, we want to be yes-oriented. Yes-oriented. Find a way to say yes. Scholarships. Get kids that come into this church that might not be from families that, that have means. And sometimes maybe they feel like they can't engage. That should never happen here. And it hasn't happened here. And if it has, it's because they haven't availed themselves to the generosity that's readily available. We're going to find a way to say yes. When our kids come up with ideas about outreaches and maybe they make suggestions about changing the way maybe we do things here at this church, we're going to find a way to say yes. Love what Mark Batterson says. A church should be a culture of, of, a, a culture of experimentation. And you got to do that, especially with your young people. You decide, I'm sorry, yes. The next one is this phrase, it's complicated. We've got to be willing to be honest with our kids and responding to some of their questions. Sometimes I know we like to feel like we have all the answers, but a lot of times we just don't have the answer. And the older our kids yet, you've got to be honest with them when you don't have the answer. You've got to be willing to say, I don't know, so I should have put that one on the list. It's complicated. Listen to Galatians. What am I talking about when I talk about? Let me read you these verses. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. This is what Paul says. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what we have a tendency to do in the church? We have a tendency to take this list and we make it two lists or four lists. And for the ones we struggle with, we put them under the category of grace. And then the ones that other people struggle with, we put it under the category of judgment. Right? And the way that things make it off of the judgment category onto the grace category is when we begin to struggle with those things too. 
when our kids are asking us about right and wrong, sometimes the answer is simple. Sometimes it's clear. We know that. But sometimes it's complicated. Not whether or not it's right or wrong, but whether or not a Christian can struggle with that. Whether or not a Christian who struggles with that can go to heaven. Right? Because Paul says here, right? Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then we're all in trouble. Because for many of us, this past week, we've struggled with at least one of these things. There's a complexity to sometimes to the theological questions. And as our kids get older, right, they understand the, 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 the complexity of life. And they're looking for a church that's willing to engage them in a conversation that doesn't deny the complexity that they intuitively recognize exists. So why we teach here as a church the difference between morality and matters of conscience and forgoing liberties, the different categories of sin. We did a sermon on that not too long ago because sometimes it's complicated. There's a difference between a person who's struggling to overcome something, right, and a person who's denied Christ for this lifestyle, right? It's, it can get complicated. I think what Paul's talking about here, it's another sermon for another time, but when he says that anyone living that sort of life, he's talking about people that have abandoned life with God in exchange for this lifestyle. He's not saying that any person, whoever is struggling in these areas, because if, if that's the case, then pretty much 99% of the church, we're all going to hell. There's a complexity to sometimes to righteousness and our kids want to know that we're willing to engage them in the depth of those kinds of conversations. you got to be willing to say you don't know, and you got to be willing to call some people that you think you do know. And if you get a call from someone with an answer to the question, then you need to say to them, I don't know. Until you find someone who does know. And then we sit down and we begin to have a conversation. And some, some, those have been some of the most powerful conversations that have happened in the history of this church, where a handful of people begin to get together and wrestle with some deep questions. And sometimes you come into that, you, don't, you still don't even know the answer. Because it's complicated. Here's the last one is you try. See, the difference when you decide and you try. Sometimes you gotta let them decide, but they might not be the person that's executing the decision. But sometimes we gotta say to our young people, you do it. Whether you think they're ready or not. Even if you know they might not get it completely right. You gotta let them try. Because we got a phrase around here that we love. It's called participation brings transformation. And we use it with our visitors all the time. And as I was praying through these thoughts and these remarks, I thought, you know what? We should use that in relation to what we believe about our young people. That participation brings transformation. We're going to let them lead before they're ready to lead. We're going to let them preach before they're ready to preach. We're going to let them lead worship before they're ready to lead worship. We're going to let them lead teams before they're ready to lead teams because sometimes that's how you grow into it. There's some things that you learn only by practicing in real life. You decide, I'm sorry, yes, it's complicated. You try. These are the things and many other things like them keep us as a what about them church. We're going to give our kids a head start. All right, I got 15 minutes. Open heaven. Come on. Open heaven. I love that image that's on the screen behind me. Because when you look at that water, 
it's all-consuming. You can't put your toe in that. This is the kind of water that sweeps you away. It's the kind of water that sweeps you away. I want there to be moments in my life where I feel swept away by God's presence. I want there to be moments in my life where I feel swept away. We, we can't live there. I'm going to be preaching about that in the series. That's part of the lesson of the Mount of Transfiguration. But we find something there that we bring back into our everyday. I want there to be moments in my life where I feel swept away by God's prayer. Listen to Bill Johnson's quote. An open heaven is where there's a nearness of heaven to earth. There's a sense of presence. There's a sense of clarity of thought, of heart and mind that's unusual. People think for themselves within within an open heaven and aren't influenced by the spirit of the day or the spirit that seems to have dominance in a certain geographical area. I love that thought because this idea of being swept away by the presence of God doesn't mean that you're out of control. If anything, it should mean that you're more in control in that moment than you have ever in your life because you're just dialed into what God is speaking to you and his presence around you. This quote keeps going. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's important for us. It sets the tone for the series. An open heaven is something that was prophesied in Isaiah 64.1. It's a prayer, a prophecy with an intercessory cry where the prophet cries out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. To a rend is a, uh, an ancient word that means to tear. Here's this cry for God to tear the heavens open and to come down. One of the things that God is championing in recent years is that the Spirit of God, listen to this, is in us for our sake. The Spirit of God is in us for our sake, but he comes upon us for others to be impacted by eternity. The Holy Spirit is in us for us, but when he comes upon us, it's to alter the environment that we're in. It's to help us operate in power so that the people that we serve are impacted for eternity, and that's the mandate. We see Jesus operating that when the Spirit of God came upon him, right? That that text can be confusing. When he gets baptized, how does the Spirit come upon him if he's already divine? It's because God's trying to teach us this idea that you can have all of God, who God is in us, which we get at salvation, but there's our moments of impartation that come upon us, and if Jesus needed a supernatural impartation to do what God called him to do, how much more do we? Jesus modeled how it's done. Baptized in water, the heavens were ripped open. The Spirit of God came upon him. And then he said, this is what he says, I do what I see my Father do and I say what I hear my Father say. That's the clarity of an open heaven. Listen to what Bill Johnson says. He says, so my prayer is that God would increase the awareness of the Spirit that is already within us. And my cry is that as our anointing increases and our awareness of his spirit increases, that entire cities would benefit from the open heavens over his people. Come on, let it be for the seven cities. Let me read you some verses that talk about an open heaven. One of the most popular ones is Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the heavens... For you, open heaven. And I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it and try it. Put me to the test. It's the only time in all of scripture where God invites us to test him. Here in Malachi, we see that open heaven is a declaration. The tithing is just a fill in the blank. The experience. And in fact, most churches do this text in injustice because they teach more about the tithe than they do the open heaven. 
The tithing is just is the, is the example of the positioning. We're going to talk about that in our, in our series. It, this idea of God's teaching us how to position ourselves to get under the open heaven. But the emphasis of Malachi should be on the open heaven, not the tithe. It's a declaration here in Malachi. In Psalm 144.5, we see it, it's a, it can be a cry for help. Open the heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they billow with smoke. Psalm 144, not for the sake of time, but you can read more of it. This is David in a desperate place. Enemies are, are encroaching upon him. He's not sure he's going to make it. And here we see the mention of an open heaven by David is a cry for help. For some of you, this needs to be your prayer. For some of you, you're in a place of crisis. For some of you, you're in a place of desperation. We're going to be talking about that in this series, how this idea of an open heaven can become a part of your prayer life as it was for David. Isaiah 45.8 talks about an open heaven. Listen to this. It says, open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. Here we have the mention of an open heaven that's a prophecy. It's a prophecy of the coming of Christ. Sometimes when the Bible uses this idea of an open heaven, it's talking about things that are going to come in our future. 2 Kings 7.2, this is one of my favorites. Love this story. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, referring to Elisha, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Samaria was surrounded by the Aramean army. They had laid siege to this city and they were going to die. The entire city. And Elisha comes in and gives a prophecy of what God is going to do, right? And here's this officer over to the side. That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, right? Flapping his buddies on the back. That's great. Yeah, he dies at the end of the story. (laughs) Elisha replied, oh, you will see it happen. With your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. See, there can be an open heaven that's right next to you. And you've got no ability to receive from it because of the faith that you don't have. We're going to be talking about that in this series. What are you believing God for in your life that's going to take an open heaven to make a difference in? Who who are you in the story? Are you Elisha? Or are you the officer? That's impossible. Oh, it's possible. It's possible with an open heaven. Bill Johnson, entire cities would benefit from the open heavens over his people. Entire cities. Sometimes I know my vision is just too small. My vision is just for 311 Selden Road. It's for this church. It's, but I think God's got it. He's got a vision for the seven cities. He's got a vision for the whole region. I'm just confessing sometimes when, when I th- read these stories and I think about, I'm, I, I realize I'm the officer that says that could happen even the Lord opened the windows of heaven, right? God wants to do a work in this region in our lifetime. And it's gonna take an open heaven to see it through. And can we just say, even if we don't get to see it because we're old and we die, then let's pass that vision on to the generation that comes behind us. Let's give those babies in the nursery a vision for the open heaven for what could happen in the seven cities. 
If we die without seeing it, then let's go down like Hebrews 11, people of faith who had a promise from God, who didn't see it, but we saw it a long way off. And if we're getting to the end of our days and we realize we're not going to see it, then let's not pull back. Let's double down. Let's give our kids a head start. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig into some of these texts. We're going to keep laying a foundation, but I want to teach about what I believe to be one of the biggest impediments to people experiencing open heaven moments in their lives. It might surprise you what it's going to be because it's not going to be any of the things that was on that list in Galatians. But it's going to be one of the things I feel like the church suffers from more than anything else. I'm not putting an end time on this series like we've done the last couple of series because part of this is because we just we want the Holy Spirit to kind of lead and direct some of these things that we're wading out into. So we're going to go into this series and we're going to be in it as long as we're supposed to. And it might be one of the young people that says, you should really move on to something else. And I'll say, okay, we will. <laughs> so this is how we want to invite you to stand as we close in worship tonight. I want to invite the young people to come down here. If you're, if you're, whether you're going to camp or not, whether you're going to camp or not. If you're high school or younger in here, I'm just gonna invite you to come down to the front here. If you're a leader in student ministries, I'm gonna invite you to come down here. If you work with our kids in any capacity, I'm gonna invite you to come down here. I'm gonna pray specifically for the kids that are going to camp, but in light of what we just preached, let's just pray bigger than that. Can we do that? Just pack it in. Come on, pack it in. Pack it in. Pack it in. High school or younger. If you're a mom in here and you got a baby I can't see because the lights are in my eyes, you, 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 you bring them down and you stand with them. If they're too little to come down by themselves, then you bring them and you stand with them in this moment. Father, we lift up this generation that's in front of us. Not just this generation, but the generations that are in front of us. Father, even the couples that are in here that are with child, we lift them up to you, God. We know that you touched John the Baptist while he was in the womb. Making him ready. Come on, do it again, Lord. We lift up these generations, God, and, 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 and we pray, make their heart ready to believe bigger than we could ever have believed ourselves, to walk in righteousness and depth than we could have ever walked ourselves, to, to believe you for things that are bigger than, than the faith that we've ever found in our own lives, God. We pray, Father, that you would empower them to take ground for your kingdom that we're like the officer with Elijah thinking it would be impossible Lord, let, it, let him see it in their lifetime Father I pray that you regard every young person's heart the temptations of the world that we know they're going to be thrown at them God keep them safe give them each that, that shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart that the enemy sends in their direction oh God Father, we pray that the women that are in this, God, that they're going to serve, they're going to lead, that they're going to break through chauvinistic barriers, God, that this world puts on them, people of color, oh God. We pray, Father, they would break through the barriers. People that have suffered injustice, people that have been betrayed. God, we know that some of the young people that are down here, Lord, they're carrying their own hurts and wounds already. Heal them up. Send them out. Make them ready. Father, for those of us, the leaders that are in this group, Father, I pray that you would put 
a word of encouragement in their hearts that is supernatural to speak life into these young people to direct them oh God to, I pray Father you would put faith in the hearts of these leaders God as they pray over these young people God that they're going to they're not even going to recognize the words that are coming out of their mouth as they're praying Father let these generations be Joshua generations every last one of them none of them left behind no one left out Father, for these young people that are going to camp, Father, I pray that you would deposit a vision in their heart for their future so that when the temptations of this world come, it's going to be garbage compared to what you've already spoken to them. That they would never trade the diamond for the lump of coal. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody sit together. Amen. Let's worship together.